Welcome to Perspectives. Good morning. I am your host, David Howard. Thank you for joining me once more as we discover the beauty of God's Word together. I am always thankful for your listening and continued prayers. My desire is that each episode speak to your heart while fulfilling the abundance of your prayers in the most incredible way. There are two quotes that I would like you to remember throughout the duration of the podcast. The first by Mark Twain and the other by Henry David Thoreau. The first is by Mark Twain and he tells us, you're never wrong to do the right thing. And the second by Mr. Thoreau, who is right? As he asked in the form of a question, a right man doing wrong or a wrong man doing right? Today's podcast is titled, Am I Right? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and also chapter 16, verse 25 tell us, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And likewise in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it explains, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If someone were to ask you, are they right? What would you tell them? In his commentary titled, Are Humans Good or Evil? Richard Rittenbaugh states that Solomon in Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 is telling us that even the deeds we think are right are sinful. For they were not sinful, they would not end in death. Death is the result of sin. So even the good things that we do without God, they are ultimately sinful because they arise from a corruptible nature. Policies and directives in the workplace are used to solve complex issues the Bible, likewise, God's word, is our authority as Christians. Just as the context of institutional policy is thorough in its expressed detail, we cannot expect to solve our issues or address the extent of our problems within the framework or the context of a singular verse solely to justify our actions. Consider this. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. Of those, they are contained in 1,189 chapters, while further enclosed in 66 books. But they serve in unison to expound upon its meaning. We cannot solely read one verse in a chapter, which consists of meaning and assume that our limited interpretation is correct. For example, scripture reveals in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24 to 25. It tells us eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand and foot for foot. But likewise, Jesus tells us in greater detail and with more granularity in Matthew chapter five, verse 38 through 42. And he says, 
Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. For whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that will borrow of thee, turn not thou away. How can they say the same thing and be wrong? They are not, but often our interpretation is. One is an Old Testament reference under the Mosaic law, while the other, as constituted by the words of Jesus, further expounds upon it. Jesus not only told us, but he demonstrated it in the face of persecution as he stood before Pontius Pilate and as the crowd shouted over and over again, crucify him. As the soldiers mocked him, placing a crown of thorns upon his head, and as the 40 lashes ripped the very flesh from his bones. And lastly, as he suffered the final indignity of being stripped before the masses and crucified upon the cross. He uttered nothing in his own defense, but simply said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23 and verse 24. Our own opinions and personal beliefs do not grant us access to heaven, but the nearness of our walk with God does. We that are in Christ should not act instinctively upon our earthly nature. We are bound by a much higher call, by holy scriptures led by the Spirit of God. Yes, we must abide by the laws of man, and they are necessary. But consider this, the law of God is greater. Again, I can uphold any action and justify it by a single verse taken out of context. And we do that quite often. I ask when we confront these matters, do we ask God? not as an opinion, but a stated fact, revealing to us what it is that we must rightly do and the stance that we must take, even if it's out of alignment with the masses. Presume I was to ask, what does right look like? Most of us would suppose that it's someone whose actions, behaviors, and beliefs closely resemble our own. Yes, some would argue, but it is however on full display every day. Man in his own righteousness cannot pass the litmus test nor match the equivalence of God's righteousness. Our circumstances outwardly appearing are not a reflection of our own rightness. If one is widowed and has nothing, it does not infer that God does not see them. If a family is homeless and lives in a tent, 
again, it does not mean that God's favor is any less. God's righteousness is not solely reserved for us in the United States or any other country for that matter. It is reserved for a people, those that serve him no matter where they are in the world. God's righteousness is revealed in scripture and is not reserved for a certain ethnicity as revealed in Acts chapter 2 and verse 8 on the day of Pentecost. God speaks and delivers his righteousness to all peoples, no matter their native tongue, African, Asian, Indian, Middle Eastern, and European. Likewise, unlike most of us, he understands people are not monolithic, but diverse in customs and culture. And yet we continue to believe that we alone are the keepers and the executors of God's righteousness. Suppose I select three qualified candidates that are attending university, one at Cambridge in England, the other Harvard, and another simply a community college. All have equally parallel academic standing. But I ask, who is greater? And who is the most relevant asset? Therein lies the issue with our application of rightness and justice and the difference between God's righteousness and ours. More than any other week, I am at a loss for words. Not because God has not placed a matter upon my heart, but because of what I've witnessed. Is our conscience and mind so seared that we no longer know right from wrong? Or have we played so long among the hues of gray that we are incapable of plainly seeing the difference? I am both afraid and concerned as I ask God, where do we go from here? The long believed character and integrity of your people is now in question and on full display in front of the entire world. It is not a matter of doing what is right in times of comfort, but how we respond when the stakes are at their highest and our decisions are of earthly and heavenly consequence. A quote by C.S. Lewis tells us, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you would get neither comfort or truth. If we in authority abuse the powers that we have been bestowed, how can we in good conscience look after the least of us? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James chapter 1 and verse 27. The strength of God's people is in their unity and not their division. But that is a problem that we are still struggling to overcome. Churches abound across the globe, from the North Pole to the South and around the beltway of the equator. There are an estimated 3,400,000 churches in the world within 238 countries. 
but they are merely buildings, brick, mortar, and wood. Now, before anyone suggests that I have spoken blasphemy, I acknowledge they are sacred places of worship, but that is not the issue. Combine none of those inanimate objects are more sacred than the temple that God created, and that is us. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Am I right? Only if God's spirit dwells in me, only if I do according to his will, only if I love his people, and that meaning all people. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John chapter 13 and verse 35. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we humbly come before your throne of mercy today. We ask that even before you hear our plea that you remove those things from us that will hinder our prayer with you. And if we have any unresolved issues with another, help us to address it in a way you will have us to do so. If we have wronged someone, may we seek forgiveness. And if someone asks, may we be forgiving as well in the same way that you have forgiven us. We thank you for your mercies and for thy renewing day by day and your grace that sustains us. Help us to seek your righteousness and your judgment that though we be tried in the refiner's fire, we may come forth as pure gold. Cause your word to abide in us, not as a memorization exercise, but then in the moment of need, through your spirit, you will bring it to our remembrance. We acknowledge we can do nothing on our own, but ask that you unite your people and divide them together in love, that we may accomplish all that you have for us. May we disseminate your righteousness out of love and compassion, not judgment and condemnation. And lastly, please teach us right from wrong. And may we acknowledge your goodness all the days of our life. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to Perspectives. Please join me again next week. If you enjoyed what you have heard or have a question, please leave a comment on the Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, or Overcast podcast platforms. Or send me an email at howarddc42 at yahoo.com. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless and keep you until we meet again.